You have been so derelict in your duty. You oh, have not really? let us into this Deeper Magic podcast in a very long time. You forced me to do it each time. I think it's your turn. Well, you have all the fancy letters and you're the head of the household. So <laughs> I Maybe the fancy letters is <laughs> worth a conversation. I'm not sure the head of the household part uh, is yeah. something that's justifiable biblically even. Well, so you're the teacher. You're the preacher. Well, yeah, but, uh-huh. but head of the household. <laughs> the, we've really made a mess of that passage of scripture. Yeah, that's for have. sure. That's a, that's a topic for another day. And I sure. think you're just filibustering right now. It is your turn to lead us into this podcast. You're listening to Deeper Magic. Well, welcome back to the Deeper Magic. I'm Anna. This is Peter. Say hi, Peter. Hi, Peter. See, That's I, really weird. I don't like calling you Peter. <laughs> I only really do that strange. when I'm annoyed or I'm like trying to get your attention and you're yeah. not paying attention. You... <laughs> I haven't experienced the annoyed Anna calling me Peter very often, but yes, clearly when I get as self-absorbed as I am wont to do in any given room, (laughs) assuming the room revolves around me, a lot of times you get my attention, you have to Mm -hmm. use my name Uh, because dad, there's, I've got five kids. I don't know. I don't know who it is, but you say Peter, I'll turn around. Yeah, absolutely. Or Dr. Kapsner is the one that every time I say it, you, you turn around. (laughs) That's because none of my students call me that. It's It's really, really funny. We'll be sitting there and I'll be like, Hey dad, nothing. And I'm like, Hey Peter. And you're like, nothing. And I'm like, all right, Dr. Kapsner and you turn around every single time. Yeah, well, again, it's so out of the blue. It only mm-hmm. happens to me a few times a year. So, yeah, so this is fun. We uh, we have a few different things we're going to cover today kind of in the same topic. But I have to say, uh, this particular thing, I'm trying to be really careful not to let it drive me absolutely wild. Oh, I'm letting it. <laughs> I'm embracing it. Well, okay. God gave us these emotions. You Okay, you run with that on behalf of me right now because cool. I'm trying to practice some measure of temperance and prudence related to this video that I saw this week that I came across from a very, very large church mm-hmm. that has, and we'll talk about some of the numbers and some of what we see in this, but they, I think they, they have 22,000 people that attend across their 10, soon to be 12 campuses, and then approximately four Forty to 50,000 people that are watching online Mm -hmm. weekly. And this requires obviously a ton of money to do this kind of thing. And I'm not even suggesting that giving to the church or like whatever is, is inherently or intrinsically wrong, but the way that they framed Oh, see, now I'm mad. The way that they that they <laughs> you framed... You started hitting the table. I'm sorry. I did, I did. Matt, I'm going to try not to. to edit that out. I'm going to try not to. Uh, the way that they framed this giving opportunity mm-hmm. was enough. It just, okay, it made me sad. And so we're going to play the 90-second clip. You went from passive to angry to sad in about three seconds. Well, I just I, watched like... I was going to say the five stages of grief, the three stages of grief. Yeah. Well, again, I'm sort of, I've got that entire Pixar movie of Inside Mm -hmm. Out in my head right now. And they're all speaking to me at any given moment. So I'm going to play 88 seconds of the clip or so. I'm going to cut off the first two because I don't need to say the person as they introduce themselves. Mm -hmm. I want to honor the person. But you and I need to talk about the theology a bit underpinning this giving. But I've played it for a few different people now, and some people literally, by the time we get to the end of the clip, they gasped out loud with what some of the final comments were. So without any further ado, here is the clip. It is a 90-day challenge to give to the church in order to keep funding this growth. Thanks for checking out the 90-day challenge. We believe wholeheartedly that God blesses those who live generously. Malachi 3.10 tells us that when we tithe, giving back the first portion of our income to God, He will bless us. 
Those blessings will look different in each person's pursuit, but in every case we believe your relationship with him will grow. God calls us to put our full trust in him and to watch and see how he cares for our needs. If you've never tithed before, we want to encourage you to take that faith step and start today. To begin the 90-day challenge, simply fill out the form on the website, and then over the next 90 days, we'll send you a series of emails to cheer you on along the way. Each email will contain a powerful short story of what God does when his people live out the value of generosity. As I look ahead to the next three months, I believe that God is about to do incredible things in your life. And guess what? We so believe that, that we promise if you don't see God show up in your life during this season of faith testing, we'll refund all the money you gave during this 90-day challenge experience. So get excited. I know I am. I can't wait to see and hear what God does in and through your 90-day challenge story. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see what God is going to do in my life. <laughs> I mean, is this the shopping network? There's a money back guarantee. It was unbelievable. I was absolutely stunned. Okay, because I did have to mute both of us while yes, that video was playing I was, because I started laughing and I was like, the mic is going to pick that up for sure. And I was reacting out loud again, <laughs> even though this is about the fifth time that I've seen it. So, so okay, among the many comments we could make, mm-hmm. let's just take them one by one at this point, okay? First comment is this. Early in the video, we're invited to put our full trust in God. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure what full trust means entirely, but I suspect it means that when you fully trust another human being, you put your well-being in their hands Mm -hmm. and then you trust them for whatever outcome might come. Right. Right. So you don't you're not sitting with some sort of prenuptial agreement (laughs) where you where you've given your money with the that it's somehow protected, your investment is protected I mean, with a money back guarantee. If God doesn't move according to the way you you know you think he probably should, whatever version of blessing you are, we're gonna give you your money back. I mean, in fairness, we are supposed to be what, the bride of Christ or whatever. <laughs> so I feel like maybe the prenuptial agreement wasn't the best choice there. Okay, but. that's it. <laughs> fine. The biblical metaphor does hold. But I'm relatively confident that mm-hmm. there is there was not a prenup that that happened at no. the beginning of this. I just, I'm stunned by this. Uh, I mean, the disciples didn't get their money back when they were brutally martyred for their faith. Yeah, eleven out of twelve of them died uh, for their faith. I and mean, the other one was eleven e- out of twelve. Well, because the last one was exiled for a very long time on Patmos. This oh, is the disciple I've, John. I kind of still count that. Well, like... <laughs> he didn't have much of a future on Patmos. Yeah. He did get an incredible revelation on Patmos. And I, I don't know how he smuggled that revelation off the island entirely. I think some people actually, like kidding aside, think that one of the reasons why he wrote in apocalyptic kinds of language in that in that uh, book that he wrote was to be able to hide its message from the guards that would have had to take it off the island of Patmos oh, and get it into the Christian community. But Well, congratulations, because you made it a little too obscure, so now <laughs> none of us know what it means either. <laughs> so true. Well, and the thing about that, though, is and what why that theory maybe doesn't hold a ton of water is there were some 300 different apocalypses being written at that time by various figures in the early church, mm-hmm. and his was the one that made it into the canon of Scripture. But it was your, your comment makes me think if we were more familiar with that literature, like they would have been back then, maybe we could have understood it a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and about the whole scripture thing, my favorite part, well, not my favorite part, but just something that always makes me giggle a little bit is the fact that whenever churches are asking you to give them money, they always quote Malachi 310 
Like literally every time I have yet to hear a sermon where a church is asking for money where they haven't been like Malachi says, give your money to the church. And you and I were talking about that right before we well, started Well, you this called episode. up the passage of scripture. I did. And you actually dare, you know, it was a little daring of you to, to oh, read I, the verses of the surrounding conf- context and not just rip one out of scripture. I'll do it again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Malachi 3, 8, uh, the section is titled, Do Not Rob God, okay. which is already a great... Because, like, can you imagine you're sitting there, it's Sunday morning, and the pastor is like, if you don't give your money to the church, you're robbing God. Right. Right, because that very much is the message behind a lot of this idea. It for sure is. And, and as you read it, I think on first blush in the English, maybe you could make a somewhat crooked line from Malachi mm-hmm. 3.10 to what this video is related to the need to give. But you and I started doing some research into the context of Malachi that I think will probably help us understand that maybe it's not even a crooked line yeah. from that to giving to the church. But why don't you read eight through 12. That's what you were looking at, right? Well, and the other thing to keep in mind is that you said it, I believe that at this point, um, the church didn't even exist. Exactly. So Malachi could not have been referencing the church because that wasn't a thing. Yeah. They're trying to take a general idea of tithing Mm -hmm. and apply it to the church, but even that's not going to hold up. I think we'll see in just a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Malachi 3, 8 starts with, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you to be blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. And that's uh, Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Hmm. Well, I think a much probably truer to the intent of Malachi as to why he wrote this passage is that Israel was constantly struggling with worship being different gods, like the Baal gods in Mm -hmm. particular, because the primary concern of Israel was the fertility of the land and the fertility of the people and the fertility of the livestock. And if that didn't happen, they literally had no food to eat. They had no future, no sustenance. So this was not about like giving from my income. This was about who is going to help crops grow in the land. And they often were worshiping other gods to hedge their bet compared to God. And so God might send famine or might say, hey, look, nothing is going to yield if you are trying to serve other gods for your sustenance. And so this is really the Malachi passage, I think, seems to be much more about don't put other gods in before me or mm-hmm. whatever that whole category is. It's similar to when the manna in the desert would constantly yeah. go bad because they couldn't store it overnight. They had to learn how to trust God daily for their sense of provision and sustenance. So this was not a passage about giving to a ministry so that that ministry can grow. This was about basically choosing this day who you would serve. And and tithing can function like that, I think, yeah, on some absolutely. level, right? Yeah, but that's just not at all what the message here is in this video. No, no yeah. And I think the idea of, um, yeah, putting that trust in God, but then it's also a provision of the community because if the entire community is contributing to this storehouse, then the entire community is taken care of. Yeah. It's part of the idea behind it as well. Um, Actually, can we just stop on that point? Because you brought yeah. that up and I hadn't considered that angle of it before. But I think it's a really important angle uh, on that is 
Tithing is so often to run the operations of the church and again, to grow the ministry of the church mm-hmm. and it, uh, it can work. You can continue to, to grow new organizations that bring new people into church. But you, what you just said about caring for the community and, and actually having communal food and, yeah. and community provisions and that the entire nation is cared for. That's, I think, an entirely different category that is really tough to get our head around in individualistic American culture, where even I, it's hard. Well, it's especially hard in, in these mega churches for sure. And this mm-hmm. isn't to pile on the mega church entirely. Smaller churches function this way too. They just mm-hmm. aren't as good yeah. at the mega church at drawing people in. They're all playing the same <laughs> game. It's just who is better at, at trying to, mm-hmm. to grow the church. But to actually take care of one another requires. A, I think actually being in each other's lives, even sort of a, a localization, you need to be in community with people that you're the reason why you're giving and the reason why you're praying and doing these things is for the care of the community. It isn't to get what this video says, which is some blessing from God is if God is withholding something you want from your life, whether it's a new job yeah. or relationship yep. healing or freedom from a sinful addiction or something, God is just withholding that. And as soon as you give 10% to the church, that, that blessing, it, yeah. So he's like, okay, finally. And the, Ta-da. Oh, I, I mean, what would it do to you? I don't know. It, why don't you just talk a little bit about what that does to people's perception of God if the idea is that really my relationship with God boils down to him blessing my life in the way that I think my life needs to be blessed. And I just mm-hmm. have to find the right algorithm of tithing in order to see that blessing dispensed. Uh, that maybe is the first thing. And then the second thing, just this money back guarantee idea. Right. Well, I mean, first of all, just hearing like the way that you framed that, it goes right back to the idea of God as a vending machine where you give your tithing and God gives you blessing. Like that's how that works is the uh, the idea behind it. Um, and then it doesn't require a relationship. It doesn't require any work. It doesn't. And the the idea that with everything that is said in the Bible about money, that then God would be like, no, you got to give me money right. to have a relationship with me. That's ridiculous. Like there's just not, I don't see any way that that isn't utterly absurd. Hmm. And I understand that maybe churches need money to function in the way that they are currently set up because they're currently set up like a business. Um, and so they, they need that money to function, but to tie that money to people's relationship with God um, rather than be like, hi, we're your church. We're here for you as a community. We're providing for you in order to be able to do that. We would love if you would donate some money to us, but, but then for them to turn around and be like, and God will bless you if you do, or your relationship with God is dependent on how much money you give us and how regularly, because generosity is the fruit of the spirit. Like that makes me so angry because it also discounts all of the people who can't afford to give money to the church on a regular basis because it's picking between that and putting food on the table. Yeah. Well, and I know a story and it may have even been the same church, but there was a a giving and I have so many comments too, just on like Mm -hmm. what you said so beautifully right there. But in terms of giving to the church where they literally held a special service when they were trying to give, I think towards a new campus that they wanted Mm -hmm. to build that that people reported being in that service and they said that they asked for the people to stand who had given to the new project and they brought all of those people forward for a special blessing and prayer and anybody else who didn't give to the project had to stay in their seats. 
So again, as much as I'm like, I don't want to, but I, it's just, there's so much wrong with that, that it's no wonder the stats are that uh, 84% of the American public has a negative perception of the megachurch. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think these are some of the reasons why it, it is so off-putting when you hear these kinds of stories. But I think back to what you said as well. When so much of the the version of blessedness happening in the Old Testament is not that I'm going to get the income and the job and blah, blah, blah. It's mm-hmm. just simply that God will allow the land to yield its crops and yield yeah. its livestock. I mean, it's more along the lines of God making sure that you have the sustenance for today that then to reduce God to this transaction, this vending machine, like you mm-hmm. said, it puts us in a position and especially in this situation where if God doesn't come through according to how you think he should how tempted are you then going to be to try other pathways to get the results that you're looking for? I'd be terribly tempted to do that as opposed to putting my full trust in a God and then whatever circumstances come, trust that he is going to be with me in those circumstances and however hard they may be in a broken world, that there will be fruit that'll get born out of that as opposed to, well, I'll put enough trust in God for 90 days to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And if nothing happens, then at least I get my money back and I'll move on to some other version of God. I mean, it's really kind of what's maybe not meant, but it's implicit in the message. That's how I think many people could interpret it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we literally just had like a conversation before we started recording about how we weren't going to go this direction this episode and save this for another time. But you just set it up so beautifully for the idea of um, doing what is right in your own eyes or doing what is good in your own eyes. Um, Because I was fortunate enough to sit with um, Holly and Noah the other night. Who've been on Deeper Magic in Mm -hmm. season one. I highly recommend going back and listening to their episodes that they did with us. And they've promised to come and join us again this upcoming year. We definitely want to expand with them if we can. Yeah, absolutely. And so I I was um, grateful enough to spend a study with them um, yesterday evening. And we talked about the passage where... Um, David and his men are in the caves and Saul comes in and David cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. I think it's first Samuel 23 or something like that. Oh, I'm so terrible with scripture references. I'm the one who's terrible with scripture references. That's my bit. (laughs) I know. I I supposedly teach scripture. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. And so we were talking about that. Um, and it is this idea of David has been on the run for so long. He's finally cornered in the back of this cave. If Saul and his men were to figure out that David is back there, like that's it. That's the end of everything. Um, And David is able to come up behind Saul and get into a position where he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe, Um, which was really interesting because part of what we talked about with that is that the corner tassel of Saul's robe, because it was more likely a prayer shawl than it was a robe, mm-hmm. um, at least in how it would have been understood in the in the original Hebrew. Um, David cutting off the corner tassel meant that he was cutting off Saul's connection to God, which meant that Saul was no longer the anointed king. And mm. so David could kill some guy named Saul instead of kill the anointed, Saul, the one. anointed king of God. Um, and so it's this really interesting moment where all of a sudden David is in this position where he's like, I could do it. And if I don't, Saul's going to know that I'm here and he's going to come back and he's going to kill me. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the moment that he's faced with. Um, and before he goes out there, he talks to his men and he's like, what am I supposed to do? And his men tell him, do what is good in your own sight, 
which is so interesting. And there was such a fun moment in the room where there was a few of us who all like we heard that passage and we were all a little bit like, hmm, don't know about that one. Right. Um, And so we talked about it for a while. And basically it took us to a couple of different places. It took us to the time of the judges that we all agreed was just very chaotic with everybody just kind of doing whatever they thought was right. Um, But it also takes us back to the idea of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and do whatever is good in your own sight. Mm -hmm. Um, And so David is presented with this opportunity and his men are telling him to do it. And he says no. And he trusts in God, which is where what you were saying ties in is that he trusts in God, puts his life on the line, puts his men's lives on the line. And the other thing is that he's, even if somehow they manage to get out of there with, with their lives, he is risking his men's support which might mean that David is now on his own as well. And now there's two different groups of people who are trying to kill him. Um, and he chooses to trust in God and walk away anyways. Well, I just said, I mean, think about all the risk that he's facing mm-hmm. right now and and the temptation to then manipulate or control his right. circumstances. Again, understandably so, in order to then achieve the well-being that he thinks he needs based on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. I, I think your example is so spot on in the sense that I mean, I certainly have walked with God in this in this way that I think is not at all biblical, which is I identify according to the circumstances around me what I think I'm going to need to feel whole in my spirit. And then I begin to pray in earnest for those things. I probably include a somewhat throwaway line, like, but nevertheless, you know, whatever yeah. you think is best, but really I kind of know. And so I'm often coming to God with my Genesis 3 life where I know it's good I don't have the agency or capacity in myself to make that happen, mm-hmm. but you're a God. You can do anything. You can and do so it. I can't do it. I know this needs to be done for my wholeness. You have the agency to do it. So will you please do it? Mm-hmm. Right. And and the fatal flaw in that is the assumption that I know what's best for my wholeness. Yeah. As opposed to trusting that God knows what's best. And so it's this subtle starts with doing right in my own eyes. And what a powerful mm-hmm. story that David faced with that kind of temptation, chose to go a different kind of direction. Yeah. Yeah. But just all to bring that all back to the idea of tithing so we can keep talking about yeah, whatever then, that was. Yeah, because then I was. called up like Matthew 5 and yeah. like what an actual blessed life might look like. But continue. Yes, please. Well, no, just to bring that all back to tithing is the idea of that that sort of thing is what putting your trust in God looks like, not the idea of giving money to the church. And it brings in the idea of spiritual leadership as well, because then it's David going to God and asking God what he is supposed to do. Um, And he does consult with his men, which is really important because as we talked about in one of our episodes with Holly and Noah in season one, part of religious leadership is asking Um, and it's ask and inquire of both God and the community. Um, But yeah, we see David do that in that moment. And so that sort of example is what it means to put your trust in God, not give 10% of your income to a mega church so that they can have another barbecue Campus. after yeah, I know. Yeah. Sunday service. I don't even know what happens at mega churches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I certainly have been, well, and I was actually, I suppose on some level, a pastor of a mega church by define, if it's by more wow. than 2000 people. I mean, the first sermon that I ever gave was to 6,000 people on a weekend over three services. That and was your first sermon. That was the, yeah, I think that was the very first time that I ever sp- gave a sermon. So it was, um, it was a little daunting. I want to say I was in my <sighs> early thirties at that time, but you know, I'm not going to say it wasn't intoxicating. Mm-hmm. You know, to have, and, and I've mentioned this before, but to have that many people 
yeah. listening to what you have to say and laughing at the right times and being moved at the right times mm-hmm. and all of that. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I got off that illusory ladder uh, when yeah. I did. But uh, from a megachurch standpoint, um, it's it's tough to... They, they just need that that money. They need the tithing to continue. And I think just a couple further comments on that, and then I can read some of this passage from Matthew. Uh, I think, first of all, what's going to be interesting to see is I don't think that the megachurch can last much longer than t- uh, maybe 10, possibly 20 years at most. And the reason why I say that mm. is that the number of potential giving people or giving units as the church would like to reference them at times is diminishing so quickly, meaning yeah. people are not going to church at the levels that they used to. So they've almost already exhausted the amount of marketplace opportunity that they have. And then also too, your generation doesn't have a ton of disposable income. And I <laughs> really? and I'm not, and I'm not sure you're gonna anytime soon mm-hmm. in inflation. I mean, gas as we're at the, you know, at the time oh of this gosh. podcast, I drove by a gas station in Minnesota that was four dollars and nineteen cents a gallon. And I wanted to cry. I know. I mean it's I need to fill my tank right now too. And I'm like everywhere is over four dollars. And you I think you make about four dollars and nineteen cents a day Pretty right much. now. It's probably what it feels like. So you can you can travel twenty two miles on any given day and you're a little key. I can pay for gas or yeah. I can pay for food. <laughs> <laughs> or I can pay for some of my rent. Which, or... well, yeah, which is why you're home all the time eating eating yeah. my food. Yep, so yeah. absolutely. <laughs> this is great. So much for moving out. Yeah, I love this inflation and economic disaster because then you're home and I I'm like trapped. to hang out with you. Yeah, it's perfect. This We're is starting to you. feel a little bit like a cult. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm this the, is a scam I'm somehow. The, well, I'm the head of the household. We've already established yeah, that's real. that. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll, and you I'll, a, you're a business owner, so you know everything there is to know about the economy. I do. And I'll let, I will let it's you rigged. know when you are free to go. Okay. The system's so. rigged. Is it going to be once I get married? Uh, yeah. No, it depends okay. on the size of the dowry. Well, oh, no, wait. Do I, am I the one that has to give stuff no. away? Yeah, you have to because I'm oh, the no. bride. So, so <laughs> I have to save up for you. It's like have you not you've been got, setting stuff aside? No, you've got at least now that I know this, and I got this, this sorted is your out. Your job. You have three years before you can date and find somebody because I need that kind of runway we to have develop six enough. Chickens that'll help. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, we've got start two years. That's a pretty I decent need a dowry to start with, with inflation. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they're getting a little old though, so I'm not sure their meat is going to yeah. be as, as valuable as it once was. Mm. Yeah, I don't know about that. We'll see. Okay. So that's one comment about the the mega church kind of thing. I th- that I think it's going to go away soon, just mm-hmm. because it won't. It's getting so top heavy financially, and it doesn't have the addressable market anymore. Uh, to work with. And so that's the first thing. I think the second thing that we say about this is just going back to what we said is I just, that idea of what a blessed life is to look like again, Mm -hmm. by the circumstances around you, if they're going in a positive way, according to the metrics that you've set forth for yourself, right? Your checklist Mm -hmm. for life. And I mean, Matthew, Jesus's first words when he's using the word blessed or happier, these are the people who are experiencing wholeness in their life. This is yeah. the description of them. All right. Oh, okay. okay. So there here we go. go. And I'll, I'll sort of, uh, I suppose, interpret a little bit or paraphrase as we go. Blessed are those who know they don't have what it takes in life because for them, the kingdom of heaven begins to open. So mm-hmm. blessed are those who know they fall short, can't keep yep. up, don't know. Blessed are those that are just ruthlessly honest about that. Because Which the as kingdom... soon as you finish this passage, I'm going to have something to say about that. Okay. So that's the first one. Uh, blessed are those who mourn or blessed are those who are honest about their pain and sorrow for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek or have their power under control uh, of, a, of a different kind of source. Uh, the mm-hmm. Meek being used there is, is the same word that's used for breaking a horse. The, yeah. the horse retains its power, but it's now under the control of the master. So blessed 
Blessed are the meek, for those are the ones who will inherit or rule over the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that which is right uh, and rightly ordered with God, for they will be filled with it. Blessed are the merciful. Uh, they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the children of God. And then this one too. I would like somebody to pray for this. Like I hope somebody has given their tithe so that this would happen to them. Okay. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. So I would, you know, if you gave your 10% in this situation Mm -hmm. and your next 90 days was filled with insults, persecution and slandering lies about you and your character and your family and your business and your pet. Yeah. Right. Like if those are your next 90 days, would you, did you just accidentally reference Mulan? No. Dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. No, I did not. (laughs) It's the little, it's Mushu. I'm glad I did. The little dragon I've only seen that movie once. He's like, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. Okay. So that's it. All right. So yes. So if your next 90 days were- Mulan-like, and mm-hmm. and all of your livestock and chickens and and pets were all dishonored and and slandered. Mm-hmm. Would you then ask for your money back? I would for sure. I totally would. At, it's I would not go into that saying. You know what? What I really need is to be falsely accused. I've got enough of that, man. <laughs> I really could use some persecution in my life uh-huh. because I don't have enough of it. So here's my ten percent. I don't know if I should do it off the gross or the net of my earnings. I don't know which is more holy. Ooh, yeah. You know. So probably but, the gross because then it's like everything, not yeah. not just what you take home. Well, and how is the church going to cheer me on during those 90 days as I'm getting persecuted? Because that was what they said. Emails. Month, I would get emails of powerful stories. Uh, Here's another I person. I kind of want to sign up just so I can see uh, what those emails say. Actually, we should. I, I can't think, afford it though, so it has to be you. Well, and I mean, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so as a person of integrity and a pastor and a Christian leader, yeah. I probably can't lie about that this is my 10% if I only give them $11 a month or something like that, Do right? Do you want to know something really sad? If I were to take like 10% of my average paycheck, <laughs> it would be $40. <laughs> it really would be. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is why you're trapped. Yeah. And it makes me very excited. God is good all Yay. the time. So, okay. So what, what would they say? Would they, they're going to send me powerful stories of God's blessings, right? Jesus loves you. Well, no. What If, if it's consistent with scripture, what mm-hmm. they're going to send me is a story of somebody who got their arm cut off for defending their faith because they were persecuted, right? It's like, here's a powerful story of a now left limbed only man. Aww. And, you know, right. And I'd be like, and so that'll, that'll cheer me I'm on. I'm left-handed. So I'd be okay with that. So this is and really- maybe wouldn't hit quite as hard for me. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's probably all right. Enough of a rant for mm-hmm. me, but I, I think, like kidding aside and rant aside, it makes me. There's so many people that I, I think have think they've met Jesus through these kind of mechanisms, and maybe haven't even like met him at all. And that's why they're understandably very troubled in their faith and uh, filled with doubt for sure. I mean, doubt comes up in this all the time because Mm -hmm. you think I am going to trust God. God is capable of doing anything God wants to do. God doesn't do those things. Yeah. But I really needed those things done. And now what do I do? And I'm going to go ahead and turn to Baal or some other source of it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. when you set up the giving situation in this way, and it's not about caring for the community and it's about getting your needs met according to you and all of that, I, I can't imagine the leadership is trying to yeah. like lead people astray. And yet, uh, and, and so just maybe like in fairness to them as somebody who teaches in seminaries as well, the teaching that I've seen in seminaries over these last 30 or 40 years at times has been brilliant and profound. And at times it does perpetrate this kind of system. Mm-hmm. And certainly 
the church philosophies of growing these big megachurches perpetrates this kind of system. And so I don't want to pile on leadership. This is part of how they've been taught Mm -hmm. to lead uh, as well. And I'm not setting myself up or you up then as like the paragons of virtue in this. All we're doing is just trying to note that whatever else we think about kingdom life, this this just genuinely is not it. It's not kingdom life at all. There isn't anything that even approximates it or represents it. And so when you have 75,000-ish people hearing this message, that's a lot of people who I think get very biblically confused about who the God of heaven is. And I think that's the point of this sort of Mm -hmm. half fun, half serious rant about the whole thing. But you had some other stuff, just even then about spiritual leadership in general that I think we can pivot to now for the remainder of this podcast. We have about 15 minutes left or so Mm -hmm. related to some other things that you learned last night from, was it from the study last night with David and Saul that you learned? Yeah, I kind of, so I have three quick things. First of all, from the Matthew passage about the blessed are- Oh, please, yeah, Yeah, you said you were gonna get back to that. Um, The, what is the blessed are those who know they don't have what it takes, that whole thing. Yep. That is so often like- Hmm. It's so often presented in the church as the idea of like, you have to know that you're not good enough. You have to know that you're a terrible person. You have right. to know that you're a sinner. Like you that lowly whole, worm. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not the intention of it at all. It's just the idea that man is not good to be, or it is not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. It's that. It's that idea of we're, not, we're meant to be in community with each other and we're meant to be in community with God and you cannot do this by yourself. And if you try, you might have to run into a brick wall a few times mm-hmm. just to like realize I can't do this by myself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So first of all, that is not about like, (laughs) you suck. No, right. No, you're human and you need other people and you need God. Like Mm. that's, that's it. Um, Super fair. The second thing was, and I can't remember if we already talked about this in the podcast or if we just talked about it before we started recording, but either way, I think it's really important. So I'm going to say it again, but the idea of, I feel like if there was a, a quote unquote church community and we're talking about like the church that we talk about, not the church, like the building kind of church, like the people of God kind of church, right? Right. If you have that kind of organization that is like, we are here for the community. We are here to help support and provide for the people around us. We are here to offer them a safe space. We can't do that unless you guys give us some money, but we're not requiring it of you. We're not guilting you into it. We're not tying this to your relationship with God. We are just asking for money to be able to continue doing what we do. But then it's also not, it's not impersonal. It's not, you are one of 25,000 people who comes to this building. Nobody knows who you are. Give us your money. Like, no, then you as a member of the community are pouring into the community and the community right. is pouring back into you. Right. And that's something entirely different, but you can't do it when it's on that scale. You can't do it. And and I know for sure, because I listened to them, their series of sermons that were sort of supporting this about life mm-hmm. and, and the defense of the megachurch. And they were actually really difficult to listen to. It was unfortunately yeah. quite demeaning and diminishing to a lot of ways and people are expressing their life as the people of God. So it was a little hard to listen to. But the idea was, is that the more we can grow these campuses, the more we can reach people for Jesus because people would just keep coming in to the churches. And I think there was this false equivalence that if people come into church, they're going to be growing in maturity, character, relationships, desire to outreach and all of that. And all I can say is in 20 years of teaching across three conservative evangelical schools in Christian ministries that as students crack open, that maybe the fruit that's being born 
from their life in these mega churches is not what the mega church thinks it might be because they're just dying inside. And we've talked about that. Well, that's mm-hmm. a whole different topic. But I know the point of their giving is the idea that they want to fund more growth, introduce people to Jesus. But again, the problem is, is that you can be exceptional at getting people to a Sunday morning and have no making disciple capacity where people yeah. are growing in character, substance, and maturity. It's Yeah, it's two completely different things. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, you had one more comment. You had three. Do you yeah. Remember? Well, okay. about the spiritual leadership. Piece okay. Of it so as yes, well. please. Um, yeah. And the other, so with the idea of, um, scaling down the community and everything as well, um, we were talking a lot last night about what does it mean to be a spiritual leader? And I know, again, that's something that we touched on in the episode that we did with Holly and Noah. Um, but we kind of circled back to it this time around that, uh, Saul, for all of his uh, potential shortcomings, um, he didn't have an example of what it meant to be king. He was the first True. king. That's he interesting. Didn't I haven't thought about to that. Look at. He didn't have anybody except for the kings of other kingdoms. Mm. And so that was that was what Saul was trying to do. Granted, Saul's name means to ask or inquire, and so God anoints him as king ask, inquire, because that is what Saul is supposed to be doing. But Saul is not asking of God or asking Mm. of the people. He's asking of the kings of neighboring kingdoms. And sometimes the witch of Endor gets his attention. And sometimes the witch of Endor when he gets an answer that he doesn't want. Interesting. Um, And so that is his frame of reference for how to be king. Um, And then from that place, David comes up and he is asking of God and asking of the people. And you start to see David, though he isn't perfect, is a much better king in a lot of ways than Saul was. Um, But one of the things that we talked about um, was the idea that David returning to God and asking the same question multiple times and returning to his men and asking the same question multiple times is not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign Mm. of fear or inability to be a leader because what David was doing is like, yes, technically doubting, but the doubt itself isn't what the problem is. The problem is, is if David, like Saul, were to see the doubt and decide that he knew what to do with it. Interesting. Yeah, and so that's, and then that's super something that we see in our church leadership is that a lot of our church leadership does not feel the freedom or and are not trained to ask questions of God and ask questions of their community. And part of that is because they are afraid of losing their power. And part of that is because we as the community expect them to have all of the answers. Yeah. I, okay. So I think especially that second part is true um, mm-hmm. because it's, I, I heard often the reference in the sermon series that I was listening to about the mega church is that the people were being referred to as the audience. That's, I hate so that. So that was, a, that was one of the many troubling things that I heard. It's because it's not a conversation. No, there's, there's no need to reach out to the audience. I mean, when is the last time they, they stopped in the middle of the Phantom of the Opera and said, so how's the singing going so far, do you think? You know, Oof. it just, it's so <laughs> that's, and yeah. so that's the other part. I think what happens, and I'll just speak, and I don't know about other pastors. I'll just speak what happened to me when I was in pastoral ministry is that I might ask and inquire of God. In fact, I would, and I think most pastors do, but I think there isn't always the open-heartedness 
to follow whatever the answer might be. And so it's fairly easy to justify if you start having sort of that internal spiritual instinct to go a certain direction and that direction doesn't make sense within the vision statements or the mission statements or the metrics or the conversations you've otherwise had, it's really difficult to be willing to follow the voice of God that is that spiritual instinct that we have. And some pastors in fairness have, but they're few and far between that I've witnessed. And I will say for sure, if I have to do a sermon and I'm asking and inquiring of God, and I will, Mm -hmm. that I have had times um, leaned into the sermon prep strategy of good stories that are, you know, meant to draw people in and yeah. oh my gosh, they fail miserably. And other times my instinct is to go you get a like different a weak chuckle at best. Oh. And you can just feel it. I mean, you just feel it. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm so Genesis three in the pulpit mm-hmm. right now. I I'm taking this fruit myself, versus other times where willingness to follow the instinct and scrap yeah. the funny story or scrap even that passage of scripture because the the people needed something different that that week. And then even just talking to the people about what's going on in the congregation and what's happening. You just can't do that. Uh, I had heard another story of a mega church pastor that had to turn off their, their Facebook feed because they would have been inundated with needs from the people had they been available on Facebook. And then, uh, and so they had to turn off the feed so that they, because they knew there was no way they could keep up with the needs of the people. And then kind of a throwaway comment that was, I mean, I guess that's one of the advantages of a smaller church is that people can know their pastor and their pastor can care for them in that way. And I'm like, Isn't that just, the whole point <laughs> of pastoring? Okay, different, please. A different guy. I have enough rants in me today, but yes, that is the, that is the point. So, I mean, spiritual leadership. Mm-hmm in this context and how you've referenced it is uh, asking and inquiring of methodological business statements and yeah. philosophies more often than it is just, I think some of the things that were, were meant. And I, if people think this is overly cynical, all I can say is that, I mean, right or wrong, I've been in 20 years inside these ministries and boards. And it's, mm-hmm. I once had a friend of mine who's consulted with, many churches over the years. It's been his business and they bring him in as a consultant. And he, and he said to me uh, off the air, uh, we were on a radio show together. And he said to me off the air, I've been behind the scenes on so many of these businesses and so many of the pastors have so much control and they just turn out to be a horse behind the scenes. <laughs> oh, what, so you can swear, I can but swear. I can't? Horses donkey behind the scenes and everybody kind of bows to their wishes. And I'm not even saying mm-hmm. the mega church pastor of Eagle Brook, the church we're kind of talking about today, is that he we graduated from the same school. We have mutual friends. I'm sure he's an amazingly nice yeah. person, as are many of the mega church pastors, but they've just been trained in in crazy ways and they've been given such power to enact their wishes and their and the congregation literally has no voice because they have so many people coming. Yeah. A hundred people could leave and it wouldn't even make a dent and yeah. they wouldn't even notice it. And so anyway, it's it's a troubling thing. I don't think it's gonna last forever. Um one of the things that we heard one of our friends say recently is maybe community and and just more of an ultra localization of mm-hmm. people. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the remedy is for all of it when this thing comes crashing down. I don't know if you have thoughts about that. Well, and just the last thing about spiritual leadership real quick is the idea as well that um, God says at one point earlier, I think it is earlier in first Samuel, but I'm not sure where, okay. um, where he says that you are not supposed to have a king, but when you ask for one, this is what your king should be like. Yes, that's because definitely it is Samuel. the idea of God is providing for what the community is asking for, even if, um, 
even if he That's said don't do that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, which I have a, another side note about that in a second. But that's part of it too, is that Saul and David were never really supposed to be the king in the way that the kings of other kingdoms were. They were more supposed to be the leader figure for the people while God was still their king. Hmm. That was the idea behind it. And so when Saul stopped doing that um, and was trying to be king in the way that other kings were, that was when it became a problem. The other thing, though, that we touched on briefly last night that I thought was really beautiful um, was the idea of the passage where Moses um, strikes the rock and water springs forth and God tells him because you did this in a in a way that was different than how God told him to. Because I think God tells him to speak to the rock and and water will spring forth and Moses hits the rock. Like twice. Twice. Right. And water still springs forth, but then God tells him, because you did this, you will not lead the people into the promised land. Um, but it's this moment of the idea of the people needed water. And even though Moses didn't fulfill the command in the way that God gave it to him, God is still going to provide for the people. Hmm. And so it's the idea of the leadership can be doing the wrong thing and God is still going to provide for the people. Um, which I thought was really important as well. And That's I hadn't a really heard stunning that statement. before. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been thankful for God's graciousness over mm-hmm. the years when I have gone my own direction with something in the classroom or in the pulpit or in church that I, I just, I think it actually speaks to the wonder of his redemptive energy more than anything else that mm-hmm. he, he, well, back to the blessing thing. He's not just sitting back there holding back until we pull the correct chain for him to move in a certain kind of way. I mean, he will use all kinds of imperfect stuff to, to bring people yeah. uh, into relationship with him. And so that, I think that's a comforting thought for sure that even I think we can safely say that this is just wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this giving thing is just flat wrong and unbiblical. And I think it's okay yeah. to say that. And I think it's also okay to say God uses imperfect people. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to say, that these churches are terrible as discipleship places just because you can't when there's that many people uh, involved. And I think um, safe to say that at the same time, I'm sure people have come to very meaningful faith journeys from, from all of this, as we kind of talk through it all. It's, it's Mm -hmm. a tricky thing. And I'm really curious. There's a reason there's 25,000 people and then 50,000 watching. Like there's a reason, Mm -hmm. even if it's not, maybe the most helpful for discipleship. Yeah. And, and maybe as it collapses, cause it will, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I wonder what will rise up out of the ashes of that because, you know, God's kingdom just doesn't go anywhere at the end right. of the day. And, and, and you and I have failed miserably in it. And over time, other expressions of church have failed miserably in this. So this isn't, um, this isn't the first time that we've seen, something like that. And yet God just has a crazy way of reaching just about anybody. But mm-hmm. uh, all I know is that to redefine a blessed life <laughs> <laughs> might, might be a helpful invitation if we oh, yeah. read Matthew 5. In fact, I don't think I'm going to give anytime soon because I don't want to be persecuted if that's what it means to be blessed. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just don't want to see what those emails say. That's the thing. Yeah. 
for yep. sure. And and here's the thing is I did actually, speaking of emails, is I sent an email, a fairly extended one to the oh. entire church leadership uh, because I do run in, in, in mutual circles with them. We have mutual friends and colleagues. Mm-hmm. I will let you know if I hear back, but I expressed, oh so I'm not just expressing all of this on a podcast. I expressed all of these kind of things to them specifically that I don't think the fruit of what's coming out of your church is what you think it is because of what I see in the classroom of all of your best and brightest evangelical students. So if you'd like to have a conversation and brainstorm together about what to do about this in the future, I would happily do so because I don't have all the answers, but I can open your eyes probably to what's happening in the results of it. So I'll let you know if I hear oh my back gosh. anything. Yeah. yeah, I was I was sitting at a brewery last night while you guys were in the study and I just felt, I can't say I was inspired, I was <laughs> but say, I felt something that prompted you. it. So I did yeah. reach out and we'll just see what happens from that. Interesting. But. All right. Well, keep me updated on that. Yeah. Well, I know we've got other topics we want to cover. Uh, we, we're out of time for today to, mm-hmm. to cover them, but I do really want to talk a little bit about doubt. You learned a lot yeah, last night about doubt well. and just the importance of doubt in our faith too. But this has been fun to catch up. I'm glad you're trapped. Thanks. Like, seriously, I am praying for inflation and, and awesome. further hardship for you. I hope gas goes to $5 a gallon. Oh, don't, Just don't for manifest you. that, yeah. please. I will pray for that. God will open up the storehouses <laughs> in that way for you. A blessed life, if right. you will. Indeed. All right. I have no way to wrap this up. Am I wrapping it up or Yeah, are you? you're wrapping it up. All right. I opened it. Fair enough. Well, thanks for listening to The Deeper Magic. I am Peter. I say bye, Anna. Bye, Anna. We'll talk to you guys soon. Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. 